Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand. Although not that much in demand and maybe not even live. Who knows? We might be dead. Nevertheless, happy Friday to all of you. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. We will be joined here in a moment by a new friend of the show, Oran McIntyre. He will be joining us here to raise the IQ maybe a point or two uh, as we get to the Dace Group here in a moment. Of course, you know how this begins on a Friday. It is the Dace Group. Next hour, we will delve into some of the feedback that you have sent to us via the SteveDace.com inbox. We look forward to that. But until then, it's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was, and Oran, if that looks familiar, the graphic package, the music, the format, it's because we just completely ripped it off the McLaughlin group. But John's been dead for about 10 years now, so I don't think he minds. Plus, it's on PBS, and so we own them. Let us begin with issue one. Bleep, Lord Nefarious says. I will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically, and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the quote opposite gender toys, things like that. There is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life. So what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned. So that is a, a growing population that they are that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans. Underforming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. It's called the Fauci effect, which is sort of like, you know, as Trust me, I'm, I, I don't get excited about that. <laughs> I mean, it's nice, but I mean, it's, it's I, I, people go to medical school now. People are interested in science, not because of me, because people, most people don't know me, who I am. My friends know me, my wife knows me, but people don't know me. It's what I symbolize. And what I symbolize in, a, in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies and and all the things you're seeing going on in society from January 6th to everything else that goes on people the craving for consistency for integrity for truth and for people caring about people your passport is not yours by the way it's the US government's it's right. a privilege to have it they can take it back right and you shouldn't have a diplomatic or or an official passport is this unprecedented to arrest a former president for not well, turning in documents? former president that had committed this many provable criminal acts. But what are the provable criminal acts, I guess? <sighs> provable criminal acts. Well, I'm just, I, I, 
I'm done talking. First question, Oran is the guest. You get to go first. What stood out to you the most in that witch's brew that Aaron just forced you to watch? Yeah, it's horrific when someone actually aggregates all of that. But I think the worst part has to be the children's hospital, right? That's absolutely insane. Just the, oh, yeah, we're sure that, you know, uh, you know, toddlers are completely confident in their different genders. They can recognize that as soon as they can make any kind of expression. Just absolute madness. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I've got to go with that. Listen, I am the father of four daughters uh they are ultimately going to fall under the heading of uh white middle class educated women at likely uh but what on earth th- this is the segment of women responsible while everybody else sheds biden on some level races to him keeps justifying him and they also apparently there's multiple clips. You just have two of them. There's several other. They're all white middle-aged women who aren't talking about this as the t- uh, very tough decision between a woman and her doctor safely going away. I mean, it's like sing song. It's like Mickey Mouse Club with them. They can't wait to talk about this stuff. It is it is perverse, and the demon has different whispers for us all men are affected in uh, different ways women are affected in different ways but ever is going on whatever's going on with western civilizations women right now is appalling and ghastly Aaron yep it has to be it has to be those those clips and I, I mentioned to you when the 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 hysterectomy woman was was on the montage the other day I just mentioned in the middle of that, how do you explain her affect, the way she looks, her body language? How do you explain that other than, like, demonic possession? I I mean, sing song, like, she has, like, this sing-song voice, a smile on her face. As she's talking about removing, removing the uterus and maybe the ovaries of young girls. Because they were on TikTok too long and don't have enough friends and haven't been socialized enough. And so they think... So um, hysterectomy. So hysterectomy. That's, that's the math here, guys. I'm drawing pretty, pretty straight lines. Very online. I start to have doubts about reality itself. So let me start lobbing things off. So tear out my woman, uterus. This woman comes in. Yes, I'll help you do that. Yes, you are the way that you are, sweetie, and we'll help you. Well, you are the way you are, but the way you are is not the way you're supposed to be, and we'll help you get there by taking out your uterus. I, I mean, it's just the, the line that we had from one of our listeners on Buy, Sell, or Hold the other day. You know, uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's getting harder for Planned Parenthood to kill the little girl inside the uterus, so now they're just going to start... Taking Killing the uterus. uterus out of little girls. Yeah. That's that's what this is. Ugh. It is just demonic from the lowest pit of hell. That's what we watch now. That's what we watch. And I know, I don't think it's, they're not totally naive. I know a lot of these have been taken down now from their website. Yeah. But let's, it's not like, oh, we didn't, they keep, they've done this all along. They just keep, they know it's controversial. 
they're just going to keep testing us and then they'll go back and now talk about sure. it and how they're going to rebrand it the yep. next time. Yep. But let, let's not pretend that they've, if you think, oh, hey, they took it down from the website, they're probably going to stop this and they realized how dumb they were. Really? No, 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 no. There's, n you have got to defeat this and it, defeat this in a way you never thought you'd have to consider living in Western civilization. So Ron, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on something as the newbie here. And I, I, I'm, I can't help but notice some of the artwork behind you there on your set. All right. Yeah. We are openly on this program, and I am on social media, openly using the term demonic in my political and cultural analysis, which I must confess, when I started doing this for a living full time 16 years ago, I, I didn't think would be a part of my everyday vernacular um, when, you know, analyzing socio-political cultural events. But here we are. Because from my perspective, I, I can't come up with another term that more adequately describes how depraved, dark, and nihilistic. And I'm, I'm reminded of something we had Tucker Carlson here uh, about a month ago. And so I got to have dinner with him uh, and a few other people. And he had mentioned that what kind of lit a fire under him as a kid that grew up in the Georgetown district, his dad was a GOP operative. He was surrounded by Republicans and Democrats his entire life. A lot of his friends you know, would go on to become, you know, activists or politicians in the Democratic Party. And it's only been in the last few years that he is watching. Like, you could see why someone might think Medicare is a good idea, even if you think it's unconstitutional and won't work. He can't come up with why we are doing things like this to children. Why are we giving girls hysterectomies? Why are we giving the same chemical castrators to our sons that we give to pedophiles in prisons? No one has benefited from this. Like, there's nothing good. And so, in his opinion, he's like, the only thing I could conclusion I could come up with is this is spiritual darkness. Well, that's kind of the conclusion we came up with this on this show about a year or so ago. So we're using the term demonic frequently in our analysis. As an as a newbie here, are we going overboard? Do you think? I don't think so. I think it's an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to maybe acknowledge at first. But one of the things that kind of the uh, scientism has done for our society is it's let us take a lot of things that otherwise would have set off our warnings, right? Would have set off hmm. our alarms, would have triggered us. And it's let us hide them and obfuscate them behind a lot of technical jargon right. that has let us justify things that we otherwise would have never done so. By moving them out of kind of that realm of the sacred and moving them into the realm of the material and the scientific and the quantifiable, it let us kind of hide that notion and be more comfortable with those things. But now that those things are kind of being more manifest and that we're seeing, you know, the, the left actually not just try to make apologies for, but actually embrace this behavior. It starts moving back out of that realm of uh, science and moves back into that realm of the spiritual. And once that happens, you can see how ugly and dark it is. So in other words, if a Democratic politician, a columnist at Slate, um, at, um, at Mother Jones, or the Atlantic was, th was the tip of the spear here in um, promoting that we just gash our boys with fake vaginas and double mastectomy our 11 and 12 year old daughters, we would instantly recognize the vileness of that proposition. And there would no, there would not be a mainstreaming of it, but because it comes from someone with a technocratic title, you are saying, is that what you're saying? That it is given a, a level of normalcy or legitimacy before the opposition and resistance to it is even mounted. 
Right. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with COVID, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, these measures that we never would have let take place under any other circumstances, letting the government lock us up, shut down our businesses, arrest pastors for holding church services, in any other scenario would have been insane. But if, as long as you can drape it in this veneer of expertise and technicality, mm -hmm. it makes it harder. People are, are more hesitant to uh, to push against it because they think, well, I don't have the knowledge. I don't right. have the expertise. Who am I? Right. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'll, maybe I'll be caught out as someone ridiculous, but they are obviously pushing this and abusing this uh, this station at every turn for power, and we can see the ugly results right in front of us. Can you guys think of a time in history where the medical profession and scientific expertise were, politi were politically weaponized in order to justify unique, ghastly, autocratic, authoritarian, nihilistic public policies no. from a regime. Does that ring a bell with anybody? No. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun, but that's just nothing, nothing coming to you either, Todd. I just, it, it seems wholly unfamiliar to me. I can't think of such a time. It might be in the history book somewhere. I don't know. In some yeah. backwater. Yeah. I'm not a historian. I, yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm, I'm, not not I'm not even a biologist. Yeah. No. I mean, so what do I know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, let's get to the exit question. On a scale of one to 10, with one being the odds the COVID not a vaccine will protect you, and 10 being the odds Lindsey Graham is demanding extra protection from his partners these days. Rank this week's level of total depravity, Todd. 10. All right. Definitely going with 10. All right. Aaron? 10. Try saying Oran and Aaron back-to-back -back fast, <laughs> by the way. Try that on for size. Uh, before we get to issue two, a reminder about our friends over at Tyga Coolers. It is, nearly, it is nearly peak cooler season. We're heading in. We're still in the dog days of summer. It's vacation fair season around the country. But football season is also just around the corner. So tailgate season, the harmonic convergence of when you want one of their premium American-made lifetime warranty guaranteed coolers over at Tyga Coolers, they'll customize it for you as well, as long as it's not something like, you know, obscene or a violation of a copyright. Like you want to memorialize, you're going to your kids' football games this fall, you want to put them on the cooler because you're, you know, obnoxiously proud of your kid and nothing wrong with that. You can do that. Or maybe you just want a cooler. You don't care what's on it. They'll do that for you too. 10% off with my name, Steve, as your discount. That's your promo code discount for 10% off when you go to tigacoolers.com. T-A-I-G-A, T-A-I-G-A for tigacoolers.com, promo code Steve. Let's continue on here with the day group. Let's get to issue two. Is this one of the dumbest takes of all time? British American author and blogger Andrew Sullivan is one of the patriarchs of the Rainbow Jihad movement of the last 20 years in the West, a fierce proponent of the recognition of open homosexuality as a normal and good thing for society. Sullivan in recent years has also been a fierce opponent of the so-called transgender movement and has called for the banning of so-called gender-affirming surgeries and therapies for minors. Which is why it was odd this week for Sullivan, in the face of the aforementioned righteous uproar over Boston Children's Hospital's happy embrace of meatball surgery for kids, tweeted this. I wonder how many people who oppose child sex changes also oppose circumcision, similar principle of the bodily integrity of children, especially their sex organs. What? What indeed? Who wants to tackle this one first? Todd. I do. All right. You're up. Oh, you're a jackass. Listen, God 
took one of the most intimate and clearly identifying marks of the male and took it for himself. You, man, at your very core, and all that you do, and all your progeny, they're mine. He's, th this, what he's doing it, through circumcision is amplifying the duties of manhood that he gave you. It's the exact opposite, the exact opposite of what these new demonic gods are doing with transgenderism. They're saying you are the opposite of your creation. I can't stress this. I mean, you can't be more wrong about anything, anything at a fundamental cosmic level than he was about this. And it's one of those things in the past where it was a couple months ago where people were feeling sorry for him because he felt like uh, Jon Stewart kind of shanghaied him by bringing on a show and ganged up on him, which I think may actually have been kind of true, but now nah, like, I, I don't care and you deserved it and you de deserve more. I, I, I challenge anybody. One plus one equals three is less wrong than what Andrew just said. It's preposterous. Oran, are you aware of anybody ever getting a circumcision and coming out with a vagina? Your thoughts? Yeah, I haven't really been uh, made uh, aware of that. If, if that's a phenomenon that happens pretty often, uh, no one's told me about it. So this is weird because one of the assumptions Sullivan made is that no one who opposed transgender surgery also would oppose circumcision. But actually, there's especially online quite a few people who do. Now, I don't think that these are the same thing, obviously. I don't think it's a one-to-one, -one, but I do think there are people who are consistent on that issue who say, look, this isn't my religious tradition, and I don't understand why it's being applied to, to children who are outside of their religious tradition. So I get that. But trying to pretend like this is the exactly the same thing is absolutely ridiculous, because, of course, the issue is not like the consent of the child, right? Like that that's not the problem. The problem is the purpose, right? It's its its the reason this is being used. And these are totally different procedures with very different goals. And someone might oppose both of them at the same time, but it wouldn't be for the same reasons. And interesting that he assumed that that just wouldn't be the case. Why would he make that assumption? I, again, I'm guessing it's because he's assuming that everyone who's against transgenderism would be a some kind of you know evangelical Christian, and many evangelical Christians, agree, you know, do have their children circumcised. But at the same time, he is against transgender transgenderism, which is kind of ridiculous right. because you know he spent his whole time trying to redefine things like marriage. That's a huge part of who he is, his public identity. But then when it came, when the revolution came for the thing he cared about, the thing that he thought was sacred, which is his was is the identity of a male, because without the identity of a male, who's gay? How can you have yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. How would you know? And so he's just like like most neocons, he's just the new version of a neocon. He pushed for the revolution until it got to some he cared about and all of a sudden now he wants to stand athwart the revolution and say stop but of course he can't control the monster that he already unleashed mm -hmm. and it's going to come for everything he cares about too at that last point is key um uh, you know a, a, a mother or a father is known by their children these are his children this is the movement that he helped to birth the 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 main reason that i wanted or there's two main reasons i wanted to address this topic 
And one of them is what you just talked about, Aron. He is a repudiation of his own point. He is a repudiation of his own point. If his own point was that there is no point to, um, uh, to uh, that the vast majority of, of, of people uh, that oppose what we're doing to our children with these maimings um, and, you know, Dr. Uh, Doctor of Island Moreau level of experiments are doing so out of a religious persuasion, he's, in a, he's, in a, he's a repudiation of his own point. He, he, his, own, his own worldview, his own presence doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of that which he's claiming. But, but hell, let me just jump on Twitter in front of millions of people and just throw this stupidity out there nevertheless and act like I'm smart. Aaron. Yeah, this is one of the dumber takes I've seen, and that's saying something. There's a target-rich environment, as all of us listening, watching uh, on the show are well aware of. And this is what I'm, this is what I am talking about when I talk about the high places, and I'll, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But there is seemingly, and I, I dare say we'll see this a little bit more from Bill Maher, and we do every now and then, there is a segment of what I would describe as the left or neoconservatism where it's like they are in unison with us crazy right-wingers on some issues, this being one of them, and they start to realize, oh, crap, I'm using the exact same vernacular. I'm saying the exact same things. I actually agree wholeheartedly with those crazy right-wingers. I got to do something to differentiate myself from them just so people don't think that I am actually, you know, one of them. I think there is that, there is that uh, impulse, and I think that's maybe what spurred, just on a, a kind of a, a visceral level, that's maybe what spurred this. Maybe nothing deeper. But this is what I'm talking about with, with the high places. I, I'm fine with gays against groomers, you know. I'm, I'm fine with that on a case-by-case basis uh, in a hand-to-hand combat, combat uh, type scenario. But long-term... Long-term, people like Andrew Sullivan and gays against groomers, culturally and civilizationally, are really, we're not going to be on the same side forever, assuming we even get back to a point where we can have those conversations. Uh, I'm sorry, arguments and fights that we used to have. Doesn't the gay marriage, the gay marriage debate seem like quaint times now? It's things like this that remind me when, when we talk about and we hear about the high places in the Old Testament, uh, so-and-so reigned for X many years, but he didn't tear down the high places. So-and-so reigned for X many years. He was uh, uh, favored by God, didn't tear down the high places. This is what I'm talking about. These people, they may be on our side for a few issues or even a lot of issues, but they're not going to tear down the high places because they are the high places. Hmm. They are the highest pinnacle of the American uh, paganism. Oran, what your, what's your thoughts on what Aaron just said? No, I think that's right. I mean, if you, I don't know if you've seen the interview just that's been going around with Sam Harris, but mm-hmm. a lot of people were really behind this IDW movement, Sam Harris. 
these guys who were finally breaking away from the left, right? Finally, we're going to get reasonable people who are going to realize where the left had gone wrong and we were going to build this coalition on free speech and uh, and reasonable inquiry and they were going to push back against the woke and all this stuff. And then Sam Harris, Harris gives this interview this week where he's talking about, well, actually, I'm fine. Hunter Biden could have had, you know, a, make it 11-year-olds on his laptop and that would have been that would have been fine. I still would have supported suppressing that story so that uh, Donald Trump would lose. And, and really, I'm fine with an open cabal to defeat Donald Trump. It doesn't really matter to me that he was suppressed and that new, the, the press was censored and that the social media worked in concert with all big businesses and government agencies and NGOs to make sure that he lost that election. I, I think that's fine, right? You can't trust people who don't share your values at the end of the day. You might find overlap. Like uh, Aaron was saying, you might have you know allies and foxholes that you work with, but never fool yourself when people don't share your core values. They're not on your side. These leftists who are suddenly coming to this realization that wokeness has gone too far, it's only because it's pushed them off the edge of the spear, right? Mm. They're just no longer at the tip of the revolution. The minute they have the option to take back their spot, they're going to throw you right over the side of the boat. you have any thoughts on that, Todd? You know, this is, this is one of the most tricky areas for people of faith here. It's a very much a mercy triumphs over justice, but... Justices, judgment, you mean? You mean judgment? judgment but, yeah. but, but, well, judgment is justice. True. Yeah. And justice is ultimately righteous and holy. And it is only God's grace of intervening in that economy of things that ultimately saves us. So, where is that line? You're absolutely right, uh, both of you, both McIntyres, about, you know, be wary of that scorpion. And when this uh, agreement you've got going on is not an agreement any longer. But we also have to hope that movements in certain uh, ways and times cause grace to abound all the more. That they learn from that. They, they awaken from their slumber. So we need to have eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. Why is a serpent innocent as doves? I mean, scripture is ripe with the lessons we need to learn about this moment. And if not now, when? I want to get to the exit question now because I want to have plenty of time to let you guys answer here. We've got about four minutes left. So here's the exit question. True or false? The real danger to Western civilization is not just how many of its inhabitants grow increasingly hostile to its traditions, but how many of them were never taught those traditions in the first place. True or false, Aaron? Um... Is not how hostile they are, but that not just how hostile, not just but how, but really how ignorant, how ignorant they are. Um, I will say, uh, I will say, I'll say false. It's an interesting question, but I will say false because even if you are taught traditions, even if you are taught traditions, you can still reject them and be hostile to them. Now, of course, how could you ever preserve traditions if you never hear them? That's that's the other side of that coin as well. But I think, I mean, it is a chicken or egg type of thing. I will say it is uh, it is false because I think I think the hostility towards those traditions that's what I'm seeing as the bigger threat right now. Todd, yeah, I'll say false. We are still taught those traditions often in a saccharine way, very juvenile way. It doesn't grow. 
but we know enough of it but we just don't we either give in and choose something else because of cowardice or comfort ultimately the traditions are not fully dead and gone yet Oran. I'm going to go with uh, false as well. I, I think the reason is that a lot of the left's power is generated by destroying, by subverting those traditions. So I think on some level, they do need those traditions to exist, if only in that infantile way that uh, the other gentlemen were talking about, because they need the ability to smash those things, to subvert those expectations. That's what kind of generates the, the, the fervor that they use to kind of ignite their base and show loyalty to each other. Meaning they need an impetus, right? What's the, what's the point of critical race theory unless we can retcon America as a, the 1619 project, right? I mean... Yes, if you don't have a history to destroy, to, to, to throw down, to smash then there's no way to animate your followers with that you know that that kind of hatred and bile towards these people even if you're giving people a sick character of the past you need something for them to look at and say oh this is gross and we need to work together to th to rip this apart and throw this down right if you don't know that there's some history of christianity you can't decry christian nationalism you need some semblance of that to create the enemies you want so then, if, if you all think this is false, in 30 seconds, the complacency from our side and rising up to confront it comes from where? Comfort. And not from ignorance of their, of, of their legacy? Way, it's comfort way more than ignorance. Just coasting on that legacy, not ignorance of it, is what you would say. Yeah. Oran, you agree with that? Quickly? I, I think... I think that's a big part of it. I think that also the fact that we believe in this um, this marketplace of ideas that the best ideas are going to win out. Right. So I think that's a huge part of it instead of understanding that it's a battle out there. So nostalgia has replaced tradition in that case. Mm. All right. We'll come back. More of the Days Group here in a moment. You know, buying or selling a home or buying and at the same time uh, selling a home uh, is already one of the more stressful things you can do, but especially in these unprecedented times Bing. of let's go Brandon. It can be all the more difficult. That's why you want to make sure you've got an agent that you can rely on. Someone you can trust to help you navigate this topsy turvy world of real estate where new or existing home sales were down almost 6% in July. That's never a good sign for your economy, by the way. All right. So how do you go get one of these agents that you can trust? Well, the name kind of says it all head to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. No one gets listed there unless they've got a fully vetted track record, and we mean long track record of success. Uh, and that's often because these people are part of this very audience with you. A lot of the agents that we have in that database come right out of our own audience. So you know they've got your back and share your values. That's also why we literally have thousands of agents waiting in line to get listed in that database. They want to connect with you, with you but we want to make sure we verify them first. So if you want to get a verified, successful agent you can trust, just about anywhere you want to move to or get away from, we can help you. Get the process started today at realestateagentsitrust.com. Once more, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's get back to... The Dace Group here, our weekly look at the week that was, or on McIntyre, our guest this week. Let's get to issue three, COVID gaslighting. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention last week basically all but announced the end to the COVID regime in America. New guidance from the CDC says the unjabbed are basically no different from the jabbed. Quarantining is now no longer necessary, and it's no longer recommended to do mass testing on those who show no symptoms. 
But perhaps the most telling gaslight the CDC is attempting to pull is this. The CDC is now quietly deleting misleading information about the COVID jabs from its website. If you go to an archived page on the CDC website regarding the mRNA jabs and the spike protein it produces, there's a section that spells out why you don't need to be concerned about the spike protein staying in your cells and that it breaks down in just a matter of days. That section has been deleted on the current version of the CDC website. This week, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky openly called for drastic changes to her agency, including reorganization and making sweeping changes to how quickly it disseminates data to the public. Now, I'm guessing Walensky didn't have a sudden come-to-Jesus moment, but it's interesting nonetheless. The timing is interesting, or maybe it's not. So, Oran, I'll start with you. First question, why are they attempting to gaslight us on this now and move on? Well, I think that one of the great things about having, you know, the control about the consensus making apparatus of the United States and the wider Western world is you can just kind of push out the new thing, right? You can always have the new thing and refocus attention. So I think they're just hoping that, okay, part of this failed, part of this was a disaster. Let's just go back and retcon some of this while we push everyone's attention onto whatever else, Ukraine, whatever, whatever the current thing is. And hopefully next time we try this and they will try it again, the, the history of its failure will be eroded from most people's memories because we just keep pushing this and, and moving forward. Todd? There's, there's no good answers to this. Uh, I got nothing but a uh-oh when I saw that news about Walensky uh, and reforms uh, because this, they don't fundamentally believe in you know real accountability. We failed uh, at this. They, they don't. What they believe is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic in a sustainable enough way that it causes the rest of us fools to just choose the things we always choose ahead of accountability it's almost a guarantee that's going to happen we don't we, we we just this is my point in the past about your race to get back to normal normal sucked it's what got us here but everybody is is continuing to race back as fast as they can and so are the likes of Rochelle Walensky. She's just going to make sure that, and like we know she took it over from Redfield. Somebody's going to take it over uh, from her, and that may be sooner rather than later. Uh, and she's going to do what she can to just make sure that things are scrubbed enough that she comes out clean on the other side and isn't the easiest possible uh, a fall guy. If, if, See, they're, they're smarter than... They know. I mean, they know that they per perpetrated a fraud on all of us. They also just know that there's hardly ever accountability. So this is not some wake-up call. We didn't... Mistakes were made. None of that. No, 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 no. This is all about continuing to play the game that they always win on avoiding accountability, and we're probably going to let it happen. Oran, I want to get your take on that before I go to Aaron. What do you think of what Todd just said? Well, I, I don't think they who would hold them accountable, right? Even if you think democracy holds public officials accountable, which I don't. But even if you believe that it does, 
who would hold these experts accountable? No one, right? These are all appointed people. These are all parts of the uh, of the permanent bureaucracy. They're designed specifically to be insulated from the consequences of their actions away from the opinions of the public and the and and the voters. When we say we want to reduce politicization, politicization of these agencies, what we mean is we want to reduce accountability of these agencies. And because we push this notion that experts should be free to make these decisions away from the eye of the public, mm -hmm. what we've really ensured is that these decisions become more politically motivated. That's very well said. Mm -hmm. Aaron? I mean, this is the Rochelle Walensky who has talked openly in the past about declaring gun violence as a public health gun violence i'm sorry for the lack of air quotes there gun violence as a public health threat i mean talk about politicization uh that's uh, issue or exhibit one two and three i think the sudden gaslighting you could understand why immediately when joe biden took over last uh 2020 january of 2021 you can understand in hindsight why they didn't just immediately declare an end to covid uh, because they still had they still had the power grab of uh, of mandatory jabs to get through, and we did that all of last year, a little bit of this year, and now that's been pretty much soundly, uh, I don't want to say dealt with because there's uh, a, a ton of fronts there left to deal with. But in terms in in terms of what they see, okay, we're we're over that now. There's no real no real area, especially 90 days to an election. There's no real area where they can say how can we use the COVID regime to advance our agenda without being politically hurt by it. And so I don't, you know, obviously there's going to be, there's going to be places everywhere. I mean, schools are, uh, schools are at the top of that list where this type of stuff is going to have to be fought out for years to come for years to come. Mm -hmm. I just think politically right now, right now that could change tomorrow, but right now it's kind of a dud for them. So might as well, might as well just kind of shirk it off for now. We set the precedents we wanted to set. And uh, as Oron said, they're going to do this again. They're going to do this again. So uh, might as well just kind of have a little grace period in between the next time they try this. Todd, you agree with that? Oh, well, that they're going to do it again, of, of course. It's a, I mean, so bet your house, man. Bet your house. Because, as Oron said, who will hold them accountable? Yeah. We, for the fact they did it the first time. Yeah, I mean, I've made that lament on our show for months on end. This is we 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 just simply want to move on. This is the, this was the hundred year flood or the thousand year flood, and it just we got unlucky. But it, it, no, every no. century they mask us and lock yeah, us yeah, down and is, shut down our churches and sure. wreck our economy. Sure, we actually we we believe that because the consequences for not believing it or believing a truth that will cause us to a level of action that we don't want to do. Oran, I give you the last word here before we move on to the exit question. Well, like you said, I think that this this will happen again. And the question is, now that we've lost our faith in these public health institutions, what is their next step? What's going to be their next justification? It looks like climate change is going to be the new policy justification going forward. They're just always looking for these reasons to rule in this state of exception, right? Mm -hmm. They just extended the COVID emergency with elections, right? So mm -hmm. that they can continue the mail-in ballot frauds. And so we're just, I think we're going to see a just a long string of justifications, be it a new strain of COVID, environmentalism, whatever, that's going to constantly create a new reason for experts to throw out new restrictions, new changes, fundamental changes to our economy, the way we live our life. I think that's probably how they're going to operate going forward. Unless we have 
accountability. Mm-hmm. Someone should like write a book, you know, like cataloging like all the evidence against these people, demanding a trial. Thoughts? Oh. Ponder that over the weekend. We might be able to spitball something into action. All right, exit question. If the odds at least one country in the world launches a criminal inquiry against any of the COVID mitigation efforts, including the jab, were a U2 song, which U2 song would it be? A, who's going to ride your wild horses, as in I can't see anyone doing it. B, one, as in sure, I can see at least one country going there. C, Sunday, bloody Sunday. There's been too much, there's too much post-jab death. It's going down. They can't hide the bodies. There will be some form of organized justice. Aaron. Should be C, but I think it's more likely B. Todd. Uh, it's likely A. Or on. Again, I think it should be C, but it's very likely A. Okay. So issue four then for our kicker topic this week. If you could put the Wonder Woman lasso of truth around any key COVID stand figure to get the absolute truth of what they know or believe, who would it be and why? Aaron, I'll start with you. I think it's I think it's easy for, for me. It's it's Fauci. And that's I know that's low hanging fruit, but in many I mean a lot of a lot, if not all of the roads point back to him and N A I A D. And uh, I, I would want to know specifically what when he was sent when he was sent the article at Zero Hedge, and there's other emails that have been FOIA that mm-hmm. I I want to know what his exact thoughts were when he read that article from Zero Hedge that got Zero Hedge kicked off of about Twitter Ralph Barrick about and the, Ralph Barrick and the virus. HIV. Yeah. I want to know what his exact thought process was then. Todd, who? Cool. We had a question like this a couple of weeks ago, if memory serves, and I so, and I said this. I, I said the head of Pfizer for to to that answer. I or any whoever else would be the man behind the horse doctor. You know, the person who because the magical power of vaccines, as you know, and you guys, you know, thought I was a little weird three years ago, and now you understand exactly what I was talking about. That's the t- people even with Fauci now. Yeah, that's as guys as much a politician as anybody else. Way more people believe that now than believe that even a year ago. Things like mm-hmm. that when we wrote our book. But to 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 get people uh, thinking more like you and Daniel in writing the book you just wrote and the question you asked yourself: If they did this now, what have they been doing this whole time? Mm-hmm. Whoever could best answer that question within the pharmaceutical industry. Oran, who would you choose and why? Well, some of the best ones are already taken. I don't know if Trump would qualify for this one, but I would be interested to sure know. Would. I would oh, really yeah. like to know where those decisions are made. How much did he know when he was vesting that power in Fauci? What did he think? Who was making those suggestions? Why did he feel compelled to go along with him? Why did he feel like when you know the riots were occurring in the middle of this lockdown with people he's supposed to be supporting being victimized? Why were those decisions made? I mean, I know the ones that are said publicly, but what were the real politic decisions? Were they even thought through? That's the stuff I'd really like to know. Uh, I've, I've never watched, I, I'm not, you know, like, just saying this as a disclaimer, so I, because I don't know. I've never watched five minutes or heard five minutes of Alex Jones. 
but there are numerous stories along the lines of what you're talking about, Oran, that are out today saying that, um, and I have no idea how much pull he has. I don't have a clue, but uh, there are numerous stories out today saying that Jones is saying on his show he cannot support Trump in 24 unless some of the questions that you just prompted. And then we expand it to Operation Warp Speed. Uh, unless he comes clean about some of those stuff, those things, he can't support him in 24. That's, you know, your thoughts on that. How big of it? How, how, how many people do you think that represents? I think it does represent a decent amount of people. One thing I will say, a lot of people misjudge the the personal support that Donald Trump engenders. He has a lot of flaws. They're very obvious, right? Including especially around uh, COVID. That's probably the, the most obvious ones of mm-hmm. them all. But I don't think the majority of kind of that older GOP who have kind of that core voter that have really fallen for Trump. I don't think they're stepping away, but I do think there are some people who will take a second look at other options, given the way that Trump was willing to capitulate on those issues. All right, let's get to predictions. Todd, I'll let you go first. Got three minutes. Assuming she does win election to Congress uh, for various strategic uh, reasons and personally personal reasons, uh, Sarah Palin's name will be put forward as Speaker of the House. I could see that. I could see that for sure. Yeah. Aaron? I think with the Big Ten media rights deal having been announced, I, I believe there will be a, a little quicker timeline to getting to the expanded Big Ten. I could see the changes or expansion happening. I know it, legally it's going to be a, a little precarious, but I could see them happening even next year, despite the fact that USC and UCLA are not slated to join until 24. I, I could see that too. I mean, you have you could get up to $3 billion more by doing it. Yep. Why would you just sit on that money for a year or two if you don't have to? Yep. Right? And that's how you bring ESPN back in. You've got new inventory, and now you need another partner to carry those games, right? Or on your prediction. Uh, softball, since it's my first time out, I think Liz Cheney's going to run for president, and uh, she's going to fill that uh, that McMuffin uh, role, you know, kind of the the – uh, the neocon spoiler to just uh, fund give give Democrats something to feel like they can rally and have a a reasonable Republican to, you know that they can kind of push with. Does she get Evan McMullen like numbers or like Ralph Nader kind of numbers? No, definitely McMullen numbers. All right, my prediction is after the the midterms, two things will happen within the next calendar year. Number one, Joe Biden will be replaced by Kamala Harris. We've already talked about that. Yes. Number two. Donald Trump will be arrested and charged. Probably. They, they will wait to do both of these two things until after the, uh, after the midterms, and this will be the reboot. Right? Biden is worn out as welcome. His, his, his record is basically, and his persona is irredeemable at this point. So um, they go with, they, they kick him to the curb, and then we, we transition, pun intended, uh, straight into orange man bad mode. Anybody with a quick 20-second thought on that? I don't have enough optimism left in me about almost anything to rebut that with anything logical. All right. Oran, appreciate it as always, man. Good to see you again. Appreciate your work. We'll have you back soon, all right? Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it for Hour One. Stay tuned. Joe. 
And we are back with Hour 2 here on a Friday, live and on demand. Maybe not live, maybe barely alive here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and Getter. You can also find me uh, at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. And then you can watch clips of the show for free without any censorship at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show as well. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Want to thank, as we do each day, all of you that to listen to the podcast. You're a big part of our audience. And every time you leave us a five-star review, uh, you hit sma- you smash the like or the follow button. You're helping us as well to continue to grow. Thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. If you've yet to do them, please consider it. And if you've got a question that you'd like us to address in an upcoming Ask Me Anything, uh, simply put it into your five-star review, and it will go to the front of the line for consideration by Todd for the very next AMA here on the program. Uh, Feedback Friday is brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Get ready for the next time. That could never happen here. Happens here. Make sure you've got the peace of mind of knowing you've got a three-month emergency food supply that includes three square meals a day, snacks, drinks, the full nine yards, 2,000-plus calories that you and everyone in your household needs. You can get it right now for $250 off now. It's even more than the graphic says. $250 on their three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. When you go to preparewithdace.com, That's preparewithdace.com. It'll arrive discreetly in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Stays good for more than two decades with proper storage at preparewithdace.com. All right, you guys ready for some feedback Friday? Yes. All right, Aaron, this first one is for you. Sue Ketchum was listening to the show yesterday, and she said, please ask Aaron to explain how or why Cedar Rapids, Iowa, is a, quote, mostly godless city. I was startled by that statement. Uh, Yeah, I said it's one of the most godless cities in the United States. And I'm basing that off of a study, a massive study that was done over the period of about 10 years interviewing 65,000 plus people by the American uh, Bible Society along with Barna. It produced this report that started, I think, in 2004 or 2005 and um, was first released, I think, in 2014 or 2015. The most recent update that I can see is in 2016, and what the American Bible Society did through these tens of thousands of interviews over this period of time is they asked people all over the country, have you read your Bible in the last seven days? So it was a, uh, it was a, uh, I think what they called it was a Bible mind, the most Bible minded cities in America. And so they ranked, they ranked the percentage of people who said, answered that question, yes. Uh, based on percentage points, and they they took the top 100 cities by market size in the United States and laid them out. And what I meant by Cedar Rapids is one of the most godless cities. I I, I assume that the more you read the, your Bible, the more godly you will become. What I mean by that is uh, on that list of cities, Cedar Rapids was number 96. Uh, 96. Here are some of the cities who are more biblically minded than Cedar Rapids, San Francisco. New York City, Austin, hmm. Texas, significantly more so. Hmm. So that's what I was meaning by by that. It, it's a fascinating study. I don't think they've updated it since uh, 2016. So in fairness to Cedar Rapids, uh, things could have changed since then, but that's that's what I was talking about. Okay. Next up, Dennis, and this is something for all three of us to chime in on. I'll start. 
Dennis says, my wife and I, because of God's provision, decided to help our three children with their college tuition costs by taking out federally funded loans. We have been paying off that debt for the past 10 years, leaving us with only three years worth of payments on what is left of our third child's tuition. My question is this, if student loan forgiveness becomes a law, should my wife and I feel okay about the remaining portion of our debt being erased this way, even though we completely disagree with this proposal? Thank you for your thoughts. Well, um, first of all, there is, uh, there is biblical precedent for uh, a period of, uh, of every few years, uh, debts being erased so the people did not exist in perpetual state of, of debtorness, of debtedness, so that they could be essentially enslaved or uh, coerced into uh, immoral practices or other belief systems outside of the covenant, uh, and also to uh, mirror and display the grace of God, all right? Years of Jubilee, for example, forbearance. So there's already biblical precedent for this. Number two, you said these were federally funded, which means the lender is the federal government. Therefore, um, they're the ones granting you the forbearance. I don't, I don't understand the moral dilemma. Well, Steve, governments don't have money. They take it from other people. Uh, banks don't have money. Where do banks get their money? Us. From us. So if no, no one, if, if, if the private institution decided to issue a forbearance against your debt, would we say that that's some kind of a moral dilemma? Well, you know, they use so-and-so's money out of one account, another out of your another account to grant you a mortgage, and you should still... Uh, no, we would not say such a thing. So I don't know why that applies here on a federal level. They, they're the lender. You know, I mean, now, if your conscience, if you feel as if you railed against this in public, and then it would be a violation of your integrity and your conscience and your testimony to privately benefit from it. No one is stopping you from writing a check on your next tax return for more than you owe in accordance with paying that money off so that your conscience in that case would be clean. But I think that's a personal matter and not a principled one. The federal government is the lender. You are paying them, right? You're not writing a, tech, a, a check to Joe taxpayer or a collective of specific taxpayers when you pay that debt back, as you have been all this time, right? No, you're writing it to the United States government. Therefore, they're the other party. They're the lender. They would grant such forbearance. I don't see the moral dilemma here at all. But we'll see what everybody else thinks. Todd? Well, when he says, should I feel okay, I'm trying to think of the machinery that causes you to be active in this and not just passive. I, so thinking through what you're talking about, see, I, I assume this goes through. There's still an active application process, Steve, or what? You, application process for what? For the forbearance? To, yes. To, I, I would assume that they would just issue it. They would not make you apply. Well, yeah. that, to me, that's the crucial distinction. If you if you have to go through some active application process, and before this, you thought this was wrong to the point of perhaps sinful, I, I don't know, well, then yeah, you may have an issue there. If it's just, this is done. All right, in general, if a lender says you don't have to pay the debt back, is that, the lender is the one, is the, the lender is the aggrieved party, Correct. 
the lender is the one out of resources they previously had that they lent to you, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. They tell you you don't have to pay it back, right? So I, I just gave a member of my family a not insignificant amount of money that they needed. They're like, I'll pay you back out of my tax return next year. I said, you will not do that. I don't loan money, number one. I just gave it to you, okay? Because I love you and I, and I can afford it. So I just gave it to you. Now, that's a different situation. But, 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 in, but I, I, it's to some degree because I didn't agree because I didn't, I didn't say you have to repay it. But I, it's the same principle. I forgave that, no. right? I just gave it to them. I don't understand why, why does that change with, where this is concerned? I'm asking the questions I'm asking because I'm trying. There seems to be like a level of hyper scrutiny here, and I think it's because people don't want to look hypocritical because they they understand with the that the point of the policy is really probably not forgiveness, but a cynical attempt to woo college aged voters that they're hemorrhaging. And I I understand and I I mm-hmm. I I get that, um, but. This is also why I didn't get, I'm not, I'm actually not morally opposed to the government forgiving student loans at all. I'm not. You know why? Because they already taxed the chit out of all those college kids that took those loans uh, and and all of their future earnings and, and and, and drove their wages with inflationary spending long before they ever got out of college and took a job. Their boomer grandparents and Gen Xer, uh, which is us, parents, have been taking how much grift from the government sow all these years, and now we're going to draw the line and say that generation doesn't get their cut? To me, I think that's what's immoral. When I first started in political talk radio here locally in Iowa, there was a big issue over what were called project labor agreements. And this was the demand that even non-union companies, if they bid on government contracts, had to pay union wages, right? Now, I should be opposed to that, except I was not. Why? Because the same Republicans that wanted me to be opposed to it were the same ones who said, but they, they get to give all kinds of, ta- of government, of taxpayer grift to their corporate entities, and it's called economic development. So my stance was, no, if we're going to give all kinds of grift to Microsoft to come here for a couple hundred jobs, then the little guy ought to get his cut too. Now, my preference would be no one gets a damn thing. That's how I would roll. No one will get nothing and you'll like it. You want something more? I got an idea for you. Ready? Job. Get one or three. Okay? Try that. That's my answer. But is that the system we live under? No, no. No. So if the system is... That because you were born late, all the people born before you get decades and decades and decades of government grift. And then the people born after you, if they, if you're dare forgiven, okay, uh, then suddenly this is socialism. Yeah, I'm not down with that. Here's a primary reason I'm against loan forgiveness. I, and I think you make great points because this is like so many other issues. The thing that it claims to be talking about isn't actually what it's trying to solve in any way, shape or form. This is just vote buying. No one's really addressing this mm-hmm. because yeah. they think we really need to get to this. So for whatever strong economy, unshackling, you know, this is just about whatever election is in front of us right now. And to demagogue uh, in the name of electioneering, it's not really about the issue. Right on Aaron. So for the four or five of you who will inevitably jump down my throat on Twitter, chuck a bomb at me, call me a snowflake millennial 
loser uh, like one or two or three people did. Last time this topic same came up, um, just put down the phone, numbnuts, and listen carefully to what I'm saying because the words that I choose are very, very intentional. The last time this came up, I think the general consensus was this is a difficult argument to make because of the reasons that you just that you just listed off. Previous generations have robbed future generations, my generations and future generations, wealth by taking on unsustainable debt. That is a fact. That is a fact. That is a fact. That is a fact. So it's a really difficult argument to say, now that we've already confiscated your wealth and sold you on the idea of getting a liberal arts degree, and now you're $50,000 into debt, you need to pay that back, you little snowflake whining. That's just a difficult argument to make. Now, should you morally and ethically, when you sign your name over to, uh, to taking on debt, should you always pay back that debt? Yes, you should. However, however, in this case, I think there should be a lot of grace for people who recognize that I'm already being taxed out the wazoo. I'm never going to see a damn dime of the social security that I've been paying into if I even have a job. I'm not going to see a dime of that. Loan forgiveness. Okay. Gentleman's agreement. We're good here. Now, if you think that's immoral, okay. I don't think there's a clear line, though, where uh, that's just a damnable offense to hell. Secondly, for the people who say, no, you need to pay it back, you snowflake, no matter what, no matter what, you need to pay it back. Uh, stop paying your own taxes. Stop paying your taxes. Your tax dollars are going to all sorts of things that are immoral. If you're really going to be, if you're really going to be um, consistent in your thinking, and again, this is in the context of the federal government-backed loans, okay? That, that's what we're talking about. Yes, federally funded loans. To, yes. Taxes to the federal government. Stop paying your taxes. Immoral for me to accept, accept loan forgiveness? Well, then it's, why isn't it immoral for you to pay taxes going to all sorts of things? College, uh, college uh, um, you know, uh, gender theory professors at your local state university. Why is it not then immoral for you to pay taxes? Stop paying taxes. Stop. Okay. So you can find me on, on Twitter at Dace Producer uh, or just email Steve and complain to him. Steve at SteveDace.com. By the way, we've got all kinds of student loans, especially when you've got a wife with now two master's degrees. So before you say, but Steve... Well, I, I get it now. You guys would get off pretty easy. Actually, my wife informed me a couple months ago that almost all of our student loans actually were privately funded, so this wouldn't happen much at all. <laughs> okay? But see, this entire conversation is why if I were in charge, no one would get nothing and like it. Because there's no way to have it without pitting our own generations against one another. There, there's no way to have it in anything but a divisive way. Because whatever generation attempts to take the moral high ground here has leveraged itself to the hilt, to the welfare state, in other areas, or this one, right? In other areas, or this one, you know? Because to Aaron's point, we could say to those college kids, hey, numbnuts, what did you think a women's study with a Y degree was going to get you? 
right? Okay, but but this is this is this is why the welfare state is treasonous. We're arguing amongst ourselves about how much to be enslaved to government, as opposed to uniting amongst one another to submit government to us and our will. This, this whole argument is the exact opposite of the intended paradigm of America. The entire, and, that, and, that, and that's why systems like this are devised, to do exactly what this conversation does. Enslave and divide, enslave and divide, divide and enslave. Before we move on, a reminder about our friends over at Home Title Lock. Homeowners beware. You could already be the victim of home title theft and not have a clue because some cyber thief may have already forged his name onto the title of your home. And here's how you can find out. My partners at Home Title Lock have a special offer for you right now. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com and then simply enter your address for free. No obligation. You'll get a free, no obligation home title scan. Normally a $100 value, but you'll get one for free today to make sure that your home's title has not been tampered with. Some scammer is not camping on it. And you're in the free and clear with the most important investment in your life, your home, and with the really the only thing that verifies you own it, your home title. You can do that right now by going to HomeTitleLock.com. Use my promo code RADIO to get that free $100 value home title scan when you go and enter your address at HomeTitleLock.com. Robert Aker says, um, your advice to be ungovernable to the spirit of the age is spot on. I work as an engineer at the Boeing company. When Boeing enforced our dear leader's shop mandate, I joined a group to push back at every level. We made flyers and passed them out. Had 50 hours a week protests outside the main office. Had speakers come, including Kari Lake. Met often, did not hold back our opinions, etc. Boeing had to drop the mandate because at my location, over 30% would not comply. At Honeywell, not too far away, they ended up firing all those that did not comply because they didn't have enough resistance. Boeing only dropped their fascist orders because they had to just to stay in business. We know how tyrants operate. Nudge, shove, and then shoot. We are at shove. If we don't speak up now, we won't have the opportunity to do it later. Thank you guys on your show for not pulling your punches. And Robert Aker, thank you. And everybody with you at Boeing that did everything you're talking about for not pulling yours. And this is a living example of what be what I mean and what we mean by saying become ungovernable to the spirit of the age or the slogan from today let, for this year. Let's find out. Let's find out when enough of us say no. Let's find out if you can run a business without us. Maybe you can. I don't know. We might lose. I don't know. I know this, though. We have no shot of winning if we don't say, let's find out. Let's find out is not a guaranteed W. Not saying it and doing it is, though, a guaranteed L, Todd. Amen. Every situation is a little different in terms of the critical mass that is ultimately required to get things pushed over the edge. Uh, you no doubt couldn't have done this alone, but and maybe on the outset you had no idea what kind of numbers you had. You knew you had enough to maybe get a snowball going. 
other people just seeing it. And there's, like Steve said, there's no, there's no guarantee. We just talked uh, on yesterday's show about, despite the rancor in a school district about uh, transgender nonsense, at least for the time being, they still lost a vote of the school board, but now there's actually legal action taking place. So you got to be nimble in these situations to know when the moment is right. Don't get too locked in to one way of doing things, thinking you're a failure if the if if you trying here uh, doesn't work, if another way, if the exact same thing worked across town or something like that. I I, I wish and a lot of you I know email us all the time, text you know what to do. You basically want the paint by numbers thing. We you really we'd like to win too, and if we had it we'd give it to you if we could and hopefully get pretty darn rich off of it too but you you're gonna have to know your own business the people around you and how to push button which buttons and when you have any thoughts aaron this is what i was talking about i think it was yesterday yesterday after the open of the show which is as bad as things are right now and we are under a romans one judgment i believe god is still giving us mercy and grace to have the opportunity to do things like that and to still fight back without the knowledge, without the fact that we're getting sent to a labor camp if we speak up. That in and of itself is God's grace. That's what I'm talking about. But it really does put, you, put into perspective how far we've come, how far we've slipped, and how little time there is left. Good on you, man. Very good on your brother. No doubt about that. All right, let's continue on. Uh, this is from Kevin Dilks. Kevin writes, huge fan. I'd like to say I've literally pulled family heads out of the sand using your show. I now even have my staunch Democrat mother-in-law. Wow, that's a challenge. Staunch Democrat and mother-in-law all in the same sentence. Uh, she watches your show daily. Shout out to you, man. Nice. I have some questions for you. Christianity and politics are huge in my life. I'd love to get into the arena of politics, but when I reach out to local organizations here in New Jersey, I get crickets. Just figured I'd ask for advice on how I should proceed. Uh, I want to thank uh, you guys. Um, you've put a, you guys have put a fire under my butt as a pastor and American husband and man. Continue to fight, and I'm praying for your team. Thank you, man. Uh, really appreciate that. So, Kevin, if you're a pastor, I'd start there. I mean, the, the the purpose of the church is the, the primary purpose of the church, primary, is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So, I'd start with that. Yeah, I, I mean, have no clue how big of a congregation you have. I do know, I can tell you once about a guy with no seminary education. I think it's a story probably going to be familiar to you, brother. Right, I can tell you about a guy with like no seminary education, and only spent a few years training about a dozen dudes, and out of that, you know, um, when when the government came down on him, I think they had roughly a hundred total. After three total years of ministry, they maybe had a hundred people that were truly committed to what he taught, and they conquered the Roman Empire, or at least 
the mustard seed that they've planted in future generations would go on and conquer the Roman Empire, right? So, I mean, whatever, whatever congregation you are shepherding, I would start there. Uh, I would start by equipping them to do the work of the ministry. I mean, I, I think of what um, uh, Calvary Chapel Church in Chattanooga that I just visited. They do a monthly Christ and culture thing. I liked it so much. I, I love their concept so much. I suggested it to the pastor at my own church. You know, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't immediately start with, uh, and we, we don't take soldiers and put them immediately on front lines. They do basic training, right? You know what I'm saying? We, you know, um, something like that. You know, do you have a, a monthly thing on Sunday nights? People come, and you're 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 you're. This is geared towards something, but I would not reach out to local organizations. I'd reach out reach out to your as a pastor. I, I I'd reach out to your congregation. I'd start there. Well, you, you've also learned an important lesson. Uh, if you're getting, I assumed you you know didn't reach out like organizations, I assumed you weren't like reaching out to Planned Parenthood or something like that. Yeah, I think we're going to assume you mean like, you know, people that don't hate us. Yes. Well, but he got crickets. Save his lecture for many years. So you went to GOP organizations. Well, these organizations (laughs) that are supposedly on your side. Correct. But if you, they think, oh yeah, this churchy guy now, doesn't he, you know, he obviously didn't get the memo. We're like. Like in a state like New Jersey, I could definitely see the Republican Party, for example, wants no part of getting into bed and getting into an alliance with a with a fired up pastor um i mean they you're just dealing with you know well i will say though in the in the trump era you know we had that famous race where the guy beat like the senate majority leader or something right okay you remember that race in in earlier or in uh in was it last cycle in new jersey or this cycle the guy beat him in a primary like a, like one of the leaders of the state legislature. It was just a guy with like a spent like 180 bucks on his campaign or something. Oh no, that something. was the general election. That he was beat. the general. Okay. Yeah, that was last November. Okay, yeah. so you know maybe that kind of a remnant is 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 getting sparked. But but I can tell you in general in a state like New Jersey, I mean there's a reason why you get Republicans like Chris Christie. A lot of them, they're going to be interested in coming and doing work with the churches and the pastors who aren't serious. They're going to be interested in coming and doing work with the churches and pastors where the pastor just wants to, uh, you know, uh, to be able to give the prayer in an event that a lot of people see. You know, he wants to seat at the table. If you're talking about being really serious, your point is very valid, Todd. So thank you for that. I I can see why you might have gotten crickets. Okay, so then start with your own. That's another good reason to start then with your own with your own congregation. If you want to get involved, how about you bring that entire congregation like to the next school board meeting where they're trying to trans kids? You yes. want to get involved in the system? Yes. I, I like Boom. that. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and these are all too long. We only got like two minutes left. All right, let's do this really quick. Alex Eber says, shame, bro. Shame. I can handle you calling me the problem. I can handle your digs at Texas and saying our motto ought to be everyone messes with us now or everyone messes with Texas. But something you said recently I will not permit. Sugar, we're going down swinging is not the best rock song of the 21st century. Shame, bro, shame. For your humble consideration, best of you, Foo Fighters, great song. Not better than Sugar, we're going down swinging. Danny California by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You lost me at Red Hot Chili Peppers. In the End by Linkin Park, no. Mr. Brightside by the Killers. I, I, I could see why a lot of people would think that would be the song. Okay. 
Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Um, I had no idea that the former Archbish- Archduke of uh, Austria-Hungary <laughs> was getting remixed into... I mean, you and I remember when Gregorian chants were on the Billboard charts, right? So now former Archdukes the of days. the Austrian... <laughs> Now, former Archdukes of the uh, defunct Austria-Hungary Empire are on the bill. I don't know what a Franz Ferdinand is. Do you know what that is, Aaron? Yeah, that's a band. Like, I know who he was. Yeah. I, oh, it's a band named this. Yeah. Did you, had you heard of this with your teenage daughters? I mean, I've heard my teenage daughters listen to a lot. I don't remember walking in and I'm like, what do you guys listen to? And they're like, hey, Dad, it's, Fra- it's Franz Ferdinand. My girls listen to country. Do they? That seems like the yours and thing, family thing to do. Yes. But no. Salt of the earth over here. Yes. Um, and it won't even be like modern country. You're talking like no, it's Garth and stuff like that. Again. No, it's definitely modern country. Is it? Okay. That's definitely that. Okay. I cannot tell a lie. All right. So then basically listen to what pop music was in the 80s. It is. Yes. That's basically is. what country music yes, is now. Is. Okay. Without the synth. Yeah. I hear you. And uh, that rebuking uh, was from Alex Ebers. And you're we appreciate it, Alex, but you're still wrong. All right. We'll come back. <laughs> Most Dacian thing ever. We will come back for more Feedback Friday here in just a few. Stay tuned. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. And Aaron, you're going to love me because I gave you no heads up about this. But it is time for you to take the con, Mr. Sulu, because it is time to talk about our friends at BattleBox. Yes, BattleBox. I said last time we talked about BattleBox, and it's still true now. It's been on my mind a lot. There will be some of us on the trajectory that we are on that may need to um, take some impromptu, let's just say this, take some impromptu camping trips. Impromptu camping trips. I'm okay? feeling you. You feel me? Wolverines! Yeah. You mean that kind of a camping yeah, trip, are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, impromptu. <laughs> bugging out. Just, just say bugging out. It doesn't have to be bad. Just got to bug out for a few days. There are some of us who might be facing that. Or some of us who just like survivalism and like camping. Well, BattleBox is the tool for you. It really is a, a tool, a su- subscription service you can sign up for. Steve will tell you about in a little bit. Uh, that'll give you great tools for camping, survival gear, things of that nature. Uh, the battle box that they sent us, it had a really nice knife that I still use to this day. It was about a four-inch blade. Don't have it with me right now, but got several items in there that I, I keep saying, if you just take one of these battle boxes, not to mention the entire you know subscription service for a few months, you just take one of these out in the wilderness, you could probably survive for a good for a good week or so on one of them that's not a guarantee but you, you get the idea there's enough in there to start a fire to have food to find to find more food to build uh, to some degree and to find shelter uh, it's really a great product if you're you know wanting to prep just in case you got to go take an impromptu camping trip out in the middle of nowhere or if you just generally uh, love camping as well and as Aaron said, if you want to sign up right now, battlebox.com slash Steve, battlebox.com slash Steve, you get a free mystery box worth over $100 plus in cool stuff when you get a new subscription at trybattlebox.com slash Steve. Once again, that's trybattlebox.com slash Steve. If that happens, by the way, if we have to bug out like that, what'll be sadder for you, Steve? 
the fact it'll happen because it is the end and loss of this great republic or your realization that, oh my God, I'm camping. Yes. <laughs> yes. Double whammy for the battle. The- battle box should uh, include with their subscription like DirecTV NFL Sunday ticket. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Then I'd be in. Then it's negotiable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's a couple in our small group that is, they've been on like this camping escapade this summer and it just doesn't seem enjoyable to me, enjoyable to me in the absolute least. Jim Gaffigan. Yes. Jim Gaffigan. Uh, well, they don't seem like a happy camper. Who seem, who's, have you ever met a happy camper? If the thermostat is off in this room by like two to three degrees, you are not happy. I don't, yes. I I am very particular about a few things. I am an ugly American. Now you know why I'm so anxious to not lose this thing. I can't survive outside of this, folks. It's true. My literally, my life is literally in your hands. My life is on the line. I'm screwed. All right? So damn it, get to the school board meeting. Goodness. I love it so much. Do you remember Grease 2? I know it exists. And I've terrible, never, awkward segues. I've never seen it. Grease 2 like, is terrible. Isn't it Lamas? Uh, isn't he the you're Maxwell Caulfield. Is who plays the and Adrian Zamed. Zamed, yes, yeah, Adrian Zamed, yes, yeah, easily confused. Easily, you know, all those uh, guys look alike. But um, oh, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer's like that was her debut. I've never seen it. It's terrible. The movie's dreadful. Okay, one of the music, one of the skits in there is the the boy is trying to convince the girl that they need to lose their virginity together. Okay, and it would be their patriotic duty, and so they sing this whole song, "Let's do it for our country." Okay, it's just. It's terrible. All right. Wow. It's terrible. I but I that. thought about that after the last few minutes. Let's do it for me. <laughs> All right. You need to win this culture war for me. Like Tom Harkin said, do it for Paul. Do it for Paul. Do it for Dace. Because I'm doomed. All right. The only thing I can Wolverine is, is, is a college football season. I can't do that in real life. I am screwed. So I need you to win this one for the Dacer. Okay. Thank you. Only a true friend would be that truly honest. <laughs> yes. All right. Preston says, I've been, a, I've been a listener since I found you guys' work in early 2020. I admire your commitment to following truth and more importantly, the one who is truth. Amen. I've grown ever more concerned with everything happening in our nation and frankly do not see how we could possibly avoid the destruction headed our way. Multi-front wars are next to impossible to win. A quick look at history confirms that with limited exception, those engaged in multi-front wars lose every time. The old Napoleon axiom, for example. Never fight a two-front war. We are one of the few empires, nations that have victoriously done that. We did that in World War II, for example. There are so many fronts now to be fought in our culture and so many dire issues that must be addressed. You list these often on on your show and have an understanding of not only the stakes, but the true uphill fight that lays ahead. It's also next to impossible to fight alone. The list of folks who understand the times is indeed short. I failed to see how we as a movement, and more importantly, as followers of Christ, have any chance of overcoming these forces of darkness in our culture. It appears all we can do is live faithfully where we are and protect our families as best we can. Please tell me I'm wrong, but I don't see how there's anything we can do except live faithfully and pray. Those in government do not concern themselves with truth, data, facts, or the good of society. They care only about themselves and power. Those who claim to be on the right are often no different. Do you have any hope to offer 
to a pilgrim struggling to see how this ship does anything but sink. I do. I do. And, and I'll start, actually, with what's in your very note. You said the only thing we really have to do is to, is, is to live faithfully and pray. That's literally changed the world. Because, see, you know, part of the expectation that we will live faithfully is that we will refuse the world system's attempt to get us to bow the knee to it, that we won't worship it, that we will not say Caesar is Lord, we will not bow the knee to the state, we will not worship false gods, only Jesus is Lord. So since that's the traditional biblical understanding and historical understanding in the history of the church, that's included in, in what you just said, the description of to live faithfully and pray? Brother, I'm going to take that right now. Are you kidding me? I'll take that over any red wave, over Cheeto Jesus saves, over Big D in Florida's coming to save the republic. I'll take that over any of that. God's people are going to live faithfully and pray? And when I mean live faithfully, I don't just mean... You know we're gonna you know keep we're gonna keep to ourselves and uh, we're not gonna you know murder and uh, bear false. That's not what I mean. You're going to live your testimony. In full view of everybody watching, you're gonna stay with your wife and she's gonna stay with you. In full view of everybody watching, you're gonna raise your kids and not let them get indoctrinated by the spirit of the age. So your kids turn out different, and everybody wants to know why. They respect their mama. In full view of everybody, you're going to say, yeah, we're not doing that. But try again. But, but, but if it's worse next time, the answer is still no. And I'm fine taking whatever consequences you'd like to put on me. I, I worship uh, God and not man. Oh, my goodness. Sold. I'm in. I'm in on that. That's all I need. That's all we need right there. We're just going to, we're going to do, we're going to live faithfully. Not complacently, not lazily. We're, we're, we're just not going to compromise our belief system for the culture anymore. Okay, cool. I mean, I won't give a turd what happens in November if we're going to do that. Long before anyone knew what the hell a Republican Party or an election or a constitution was, what you just described, Preston, was changing the world and toppling dictators and empires. So you know what, man? Mm -hmm. Bam, I'm in on that right there. To your point, remember, wasn't it just earlier this week that poll came out about the greatest idol within the church? It's comfort. It's comfort. Yeah. This is erasing that. Yes. Onward Christian soldiers. I don't think I ever told you guys the the I did the Sunday services at Calvary Chapel two weeks ago. The passage of scripture that I chose was Romans thirteen. What it does and does not mean. I didn't do a GOP mobilization effort. I didn't give them ten steps to win a culture war. Be the church. I just told them to be the church. We don't bow the knee to idols. We don't offer our children up as a sacrifice to idols. We don't worship false gods. 
We don't give the government unconditional allegiance, you know, Christianity. We're in the world, but not of it. We give honor to those whom honor is owed. We give, we give duty to those whom duty is owed. Nothing more and nothing less. Paul was happy to pay tolls for the roads in Rome. Without them, he could not have traveled the empire to spread the gospel. But when Nero turned around and said, now worship me as Lord, Paul said, dude, I'll pay any toll you charge me. But no is the answer on that worship thing. I'm not doing that. No. Now, Nero cut his head off. That's an important point, okay? Admittedly. And could be the reason why we are very tempted by comfort, mm. okay? But do we believe in eternity or not? I'll take, Preston, what you offered as our only solution against the best Republican Party you could dare to fever dream. Give me that. Give me God's people, diversity within that unity, regardless of creed or custom or language or tradition, banding together to say, yeah, we're just going to do what God says. We do that. And when you tell us to do what God says not to, we're... No, we're, we're not. So, I we good? I know it sounds trite, but what you're well, suggesting here is the master plan, exactly. Preston. That's exactly this is what right. churches are, are, are supposed to be equipping you to do. This is it. This, this has always been the master plan. It hasn't been, you know, get a political party. I'm not saying these things are not ever useful. This is actually the plan. What you just said in frustration has been the plan for 2,000 years. That's the plan. That's the best testimony we have, Todd. And to be to be honest and to sympathize with you, Steve and I share your frustration. I mean, uh, you you clearly seem to have a very low estimation of what the modern church is capable of. Hey, so you've here. been watching. Yeah, so yeah, yes. I, I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. But you actually, are, Steve brought up yesterday... Uh, comedian J.P. Sears, and he makes this very point. He says, I have some days where it just seems too much. And all he does in that, I, I, forgive, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but he he says nothing explicitly Christian. It's just, it's God and Sa mm -hmm. Satan, mm -hmm. using that term, might be the most explicitly Christian thing he says, but he never taught, he never says Jesus. It's God versus evil, God versus Satan. Correct. But he says, I have my low moments where it seems like all the systems are against us, but then I, I wake up and he makes your point. He's like, I, I believe in a mighty God. God, God like th these systems have no chance against a God who is basically, he doesn't use this term, but he says, if a God is let out of his cage, we win. That's the point you're making. How about we try this? Yeah. And just bringing this hour, I think, somewhat full circle as well. This is why I think that the American Bible Society a survey and study that, you know, massive, massive survey and study was clever in the question that they asked. Have you read your Bible? Have you read the Bible in mm -hmm. the last seven days? Mm -hmm. And this was not just amongst believers. This was amongst the entire population because it cuts to the core of how committed you are. Are you just... Are you committed enough just to get into his word like once a week by yourself? Are you that committed? And how many how many cities do you think in America were over where the, where there was the, how many cities in America do you think there was where there was a majority of that population that read the Bible once in the last seven days? How many do you think there were, or do you think there were, were any? Yeah, I'm going to say there weren't any. There was actually two. Oh, 
Number so two hundred percent more than I. Th- yeah, <laughs> there were two. What number two in the country? Birmingham, Alabama, fifty-one percent. Number one, you know where this was? Chattanooga, Tennessee, fifty-two mm. percent mm. of those people. So I, I think, I, I, I again, you. How committed are we? And by and large, most of the country, most of the country, is not uh, not not committed at all to anything that we have to offer. But here's the good news as well: we don't really need majorities. We just need a very very committed minority. That's one lesson we should learn from what the left has taught us over the last uh, you know couple of generations. Just a committed, very committed minority. And you can move things. That's what t- history, that's what the history of the church has taught us. A very committed minority can do a lot of damage for good. So what you're telling me, what I heard from there most of all, is I need to add Birmingham, Alabama to my list of relocation mistresses. Because not only is it, it's actually the number one television market in America for college football. The college football ratings in Birmingham, Alabama per capita rank higher in that city than any city in the country. And it's one of the only two places where a majority of the people regularly read their Bibles. If there was, and there, and, and there's no, there's like no real winner. If there was ever a place that was specifically put on this map for Steve Dace, the Bible college football and no blizzards. Honestly, roll tide. Is there a better place in in the world for me to live than Birmingham, Alabama? <laughs> okay, but but to finish up this point because we're about done with the show. That's always been the plan, is what Preston is laying out. That's actually always been the plan. We say no to evil. We stand up against it. We do what God says and stand up for Him, and we try to live that and honor that within our own families and amongst and pass it on to our children as best we can. Uh, and while doing those things, we then love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We show them by showing in that respect, we show both the truth and justice of God. And then we show the mercy and grace of God. And then we get called home and they put us in the ground and we call it a day. I mean, that's your complicated culture war plan right there. That's it. That's it, man. That's worked for 2000 years. Very, very simple. But apparently, if it's not preached, not easy. <laughs> okay? How will they hear the word, let alone do it, if there was no one to preach it to them? Right? I think I've read that somewhere, a dusty book. Have a great weekend. Uh, we have Monday off. It's the military funeral for my father-in-law. We'll mm-hmm. see you again on Tuesday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.